0: Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com.
1: In some of my songs I have casually mentioned The fact that I like to drink beer This little song is more to the point Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears, I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow, I like beer. It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. Makes it feel mellow. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's December 6th, 2011. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43. Joined tonight by my co-host, Jen Swartman from The Blind Tiger. Hi, Jimmy. How are you, Jen?
2: Doing really well. I've had a really fun beer week. Anything in particular
1: you'd like to tell us?
2: Oh, it was a revolving door of fun beer friends. Due to CL's event was fantastic. Those guys came down from Montreal And then we had a really wonderful benefit event uh, for a a friend of you know a beer friend from the city, and Tom Baker and Peggy Baker uh, came up from uh, Earth Bread and Brewing, which is in the Pennsylvania area, and brought beer that we would not get in New York otherwise. So that was really fun.
1: Well, you guys already always do such cool things at Blind Tiger. I'm really happy to um, introduce our show tonight. We're sponsored by GreatBrewers.com. Learn more about beer, try the Beer Cloud, take the Great Beer Test, go to greatbrewers.com. It brings the American beer community together, and we're supported by the people at the Good Beer Seal, an association of 34 New York City beer bars. Check it out at goodbeerseal.com. We've got some special guests today. Our theme is Japanese beer and sake show today. Um, a couple people that have been on the show before uh, We've got John John Lundbaum from B United Imports
3: Hey Jimmy, hey Jen, how you doing? So
1: John, you, you guys, uh, you have a, a wide-ranging portfolio Of beers from around the world But you also have a little piece of Japan in your portfolio, don't you?
3: Uh, yeah, we do beer and other beverages from 12 or 13 different countries um, You know, probably 85 to 90% of it is beer But we also do sake And from Japan, we do the Hitachino Brewery and uh, their sake brand, Kikusakare.
1: So right now we're drinking uh, one of the Hitachino beers. Wh- what is it?
3: Uh, it's the Hitachino Red Rice Ale. Um, it's a really remarkable, very unusual beer um, made with both uh, malted barley as well as uh, red rice and fermented with a beer yeast and a sake yeast.
1: Well, uh, Hitachino beer, it's really dear to us uh, at Beer Sessions Radio. Last year, um, when there was the earthquake and tsunami in Japan, uh, we got together and, and organized a, a fundraiser called Brewers for Brewers at Brooklyn Brewery, uh, and we gave the money twelve thousand dollars. We gave to Mr. Kuyichi of Hirachino.
3: I believe it was the largest single donation um, to the fund that we set up with uh, with with uh, the Kuyichi Brewery in Japan. Um, it was. A, I mean, obviously, I was there. It was a spectacular event. Um, they really, really appreciate everyone's support.
1: Yeah, I mean, brewers from the whole region, you know, from uh, Victory Brewing, Heartland Brewery, Kelso, Six Point, and others came, home brewers came out. And uh, one of this, the reasons that happened is our, our special friend, uh, Corey, uh, Corey Etta, who I know as a customer from Jimmy's Number 43, uh, she's a friend of Mr. Cucci from Hidachino And at the time of the disaster, she asked me if we could organize a, some kind of event and she put me in touch with Mr. Kuchi who who would I I've met him before uh he'd been to Jimmy's number 43 absolutely and he's a great guy but uh, Cory hi Cory how are you hi Jimmy it's the first time on the show right
4: i know i'm a little nervous
1: well tell us a little bit about what happened last year it was it was a tragedy for japan
4: yeah i mean it's this year it was march uh it was uh, such a you know shock to us and and uh, i got i was thinking about actually um, you know, Mr. Kiyuchi and uh, Hitachi no Nest Beer that I love and I, I adore um, because they are in Ibalagi, one of the areas that were not really hit as hard as maybe Miyagi uh, and Fukushima and you know other areas. Yet uh, I heard some disasters and news on it. Then I got newsletter. From Hidatsa being their fan, I get you know newsletters from them, and they were saying you know don't our customers don't worry we are okay, but the waters that we you know the water supply that we kept for our production, we are distributing it to you know people who were hit hard in our you know area, so I said oh my god, and I you know because I knew I mean, actually I am so happy that I have this amazing red ale beer tonight because this was the beer that made me fall in love with Hitachi no beer and um, this was really opportunity for me to meet with Jimmy. So I was thinking about Jimmy and I sent him an email and saying, hey Jimmy, can't we do something? Maybe we can do something to help them. And you know, the rest is the story. I was very touched that all the you know, beer guys in this country came together to help this disaster in Japan.
1: That's great. Well, John, uh, we know that at the time uh, Hidachino had stopped producing beer. Are they are they making beer again now?
3: Oh, absolutely. They're back at um, full capacity. Um, Hidachino, um, forgive me, I forget the exact number. I think they're somewhere like twelve to fifteen miles away from the coast. Um, their brewery had very very little damage. I mean, it's, it's practically nothing. Um, the other brewery in their region, however, was completely destroyed, just leveled, and there was a lot of. Um, really catastrophic damage, and obviously 12 miles from the coast, in their region, there was a lot of really, really horrible damage. So, um, at the time of the disaster, Hiduchino, or the Kyuchi Brewery, stopped producing uh, beer, stopped producing sake, stopped producing their shochu, and put all of their efforts towards just distilling water, so that um, or distilling, purifying water, so that they could just get pure um, water to sort of help in the relief effort. Um, And Eventually, they did start brewing again. Um, getting the beer to the States at that point was compounded by the fact, or sorry, the difficulty was compounded by the fact that the you know, sort of existing trade imbalance between the United States and Japan was made that much worse by the disaster. Um, there were no uh, shipping containers going into Japan. Those that did go in were um, prioritized by those that had relief supplies, and if you don't have a lot of shipping containers going in, you don't have a lot of shipping containers coming out. So that was difficult for a while. Um, now the supply of hibachino beer is, you know, pretty stable and pretty back where it was. Um, we're going to have another bulk container up and running in the next month or so, and that's going to be exclusively for bringing um, hibachino beer to the U.S. for kegging. So um, at that point, hopefully, we'll have some sort of have some uh, have a bit more inventory, especially on draft, to really supply the U.S. market, which will be great.
1: So uh, Kiyuchi, it's called Kiyuchi Brewery. Is that correct?
3: Uh, yeah, the family is the Kiyuchi family. The, uh, um, you know, Toshiyuki Kiyuchi is uh, currently um, running the show. Uh, their beer brand is Hitachino, and their uh, sake brand is Kikusakari.
1: So, what did they make first? Did they make sake first or beer?
3: Great question. They've been making sake since the late eighteen hundreds. I think sometime in the eighteen seventies. In Japan, there was a law that was sort of um, in place from the British occupation that said, if you made sake, you can make as little or as much as you want. But if you made beer, you had to make a minimum of several hundred thousand barrels a year. Um, again, I'm not great with numbers. It was a very, very large number. Essentially, it was a protectorate thing put in place by Sapporo, et cetera. Um, in the mid-1990s, that law was uh, taken away. It was was um, And essentially, you could have... Any size brewery you wanted to. So a lot of the smaller, more progressive sake producers in Japan started to make beer for the first time. Um, and that was when Hia got in the game. So,
2: sorry, John, but Corey's actually shaking her head at some of the information <laughs> you're giving. So I was curious what she had to say.
4: No, no, I'm sorry. You said British Occupation? Uh, there has never been British occupation in for, in Japan.
3: Right. I don't mean occu- British occupation in the same sense that they occupied India, but a lot of the brewing culture that you have in Australia, that you have in New Zealand, that you have in Southeast Asia and Japan was sort of put in place by uh, the British coming to sort of conquest the larger area of, sort of Southeast Asia. Breweries like... Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Well, sort of the tradition of beer and the larger breweries in Japan and China and Thailand sort of have... Their roots in this
4: Great
1: Alright John And uh, we have George here George Cow from uh, Mutual Trading um, We're going to talk a little bit more about Saki Because that's why we're here today um, How did you get involved in, in working in Saki And telling us a little more about Mutual Trading
0: Oh great Well, um, oh, hi Jimmy Hi Jen hi. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here Thank you for uh, inviting me um, Well I started uh, actually in the food world In New York City Actually in my uh, Wait let's start If you don't know George It's, it's Cow or Cow Cow
1: Cow, cow. If you don't know George, you don't know food in New York. (laughs) I mean, every chef, you selling, what, food products? Yes. And, like, what kind of super fancy specialty foods Um, do you sell?
0: Well, I I started with the the ultra-premium, you know, foie gras, truffles, Kobe beef uh, industry. And I just slowly migrated towards uh, my current position at New York Mutual Trading. Uh, We're an 85-year-old importer and distributor of Japanese, all things Japanese. So we have... uh, Japanese foods, Japanese sakes, beers, and shochu. And uh, for the past ten years or so, um, business has been tremendously, you know, great. And uh, we're we're starting to see humongous uh, trends building in the Japanese sector. And uh, I handle the East Coast for the uh, alcohol distribution. <coughs> Well, there's, there's one sake bottle that you have that everybody's oohing <coughs> and eyeing over. What is it? Yes, um, I actually brought three sakes today to try, or taste, if you will. And um, the first sake is uh, Dasai 23. Now, this is a, uh, I would say, medium-sized brewery from Japan in uh, located in Yamaguchi Prefecture. This is the southwest corner of the banana-shaped island called Honshu. And this sake is... Uh, characterized as a junmai daiginjo sake. And for those who understand the characteristics and the, um, the way that we classify sakes, this is ultra-high premium. Um, this sake tends to be very aromatic, very floral, and I would recommend you know, serving this more towards an aperitif or uh, during appetizers because of the aromatics that you get. All right. Jen, are you not a fan of sake?
2: Well... I I have been a fan. I for whatever reason don't have as much of a taste for it anymore. I'll divulge, but this tasting might actually get me back on board. Um, not that I was drinking bad sake or hot sake, God forbid. But um, and I did. I read an amazing article a few years back that kind of demystified some of the categories and and those high high ends. It has to do with the percentage of. The rice grain? Like, that is, what is Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so I think a couple bits of information like that might be helpful for people out there who are trying to wrap their brains around these levels.
0: Basically, um, in order for uh, sake to be classified as premium sake,s they have uh, certain rules and regulations of brewing. And within those rules, we have 87 species of rice deemed fit. And within that, uh, what we do is we mill off the outer core of the rice kernel, and we're trying to get to the center starch. Now, um, rice, as you know, is uh, made up of lipids, proteins, and starch. But we just want the starch in order to create what we call sacrification. Now, um, rice in general is uh, non-sugar. So in order to ferment, obviously we need sugar, so then we pitch the yeast in the water. Um, After the sacrification happens, we're able to create beautiful sake because of rice polishing. So
2: So, so the polishing, like, it eliminates um, just... Impurities, correct, correct. It gives because off, you're cutting um, it, di- flavors cutting, and yeah.
0: profiles that you would not want. They're a little bit harsh and robust, so you definitely want the clean starch. Okay,
3: right. I'm uh, sorry. This is John again. Uh, one really sort of interesting and um, I guess you could say convenient fact about the structure of a rice kernel is that all of the starches are in the center, and mm-hmm. sort of as you go from the center, you start to get the fatty acids and the. Um, other things that in the fermentation process contribute to all flavors. So, I mean, it's really and only in, the, in really the 20th smooth. century <laughs> that we've had sort of the technology to really mill that kernel down so finely and to really get to the purity of the starch and create things like Daiginjo Sakes. Exactly.
0: We're, well, the Sakes that we have today are uh, the best sake the world has ever experienced. Um, the technology that we're using to mill the rice has only been about 50 years. So the history in sake making, the Daiginjo status or the classification is only 50 years old. Because they
2: were incapable Correct. of,
0: of right. we're maintaining the
2: kernel and yes. getting it down to that. Wow. Yes.
1: George, what, what are some of the, the places in, in New York, some of the top places that sell your sake?
0: Um, well, you know, basically the no-brainer is any of the Japanese restaurants um, carry a wide variety of our portfolio. We, uh, we have about 140 different brands the largest importer of premium sake in so, the nation. Tell us the name of a couple bars. Um, I, I would immediately say Sakagura is is by far
3: one of the most. It's a great famous. place. Yeah, everyone in this room is nodding at Sakagura. <laughs> it's like it's one of the most spectacular meals of my life was yes, at Sakagura. Yes,
2: but you know, places and environments like, in a restaurant,
3: uh, ambiance.
0: Yeah. Places like Matsuri, Morimoto, Soba Toto. I mean, a, a wide variety of uh, Japanese restaurants. Absolutely, but um, we, we try not to just stop there. We're trying to, you know. Cross uh, borders and really get well, into uh, Sake pairings with French, with Italian Cuisine.
2: And I know at the Blind Tiger um, We only have a, a beer and wine License. And mm-hmm. so it means That, you know, in order to diversify as Far as we can, mm-hmm. sake is One of the things that we yes. we yes. always have A couple because it's one, you know It can fit under our umbrella.
0: Absolutely Absolutely. It fits in. What about the shochu? Shochu is a different thing. Yes um, There's somewhat of a uh, Difficulty understanding the difference between shochu and soju. Now, soju is the Korean word for a distilled spirit, um, basically uh, similar to shochu. But within the word shochu, uh, the distillery um, has to follow very strict regulations. Um, Most of the shochus that you get here in the States will be single distilled shochus. So you're looking for those aromatics from either barley, potato, rice, um, sometimes sesame, um, sometimes brown sugar. And um, you really get those you know, heavy notes. But if you, it is going through a continuous distillation, then perhaps um, you're not looking for such a fine, refined product. And therefore, you know, the, uh, the products that probably are 35% to 40% alcohol by volume, um, used best for cocktails, is what you're looking so for. So, shochu is a good mixer. You yeah, have it with a tea or some other mixer? Yes, a very easy mixer. But um, lately, we're starting to see it. As a, as
1: a street Great. Corey, uh, before we ta- take a short break In a few minutes But Corey, what do you think of this sake? Because I, n- I know you thought this was a special sake
4: Oh no, no, no I mean, I mean, I've always been a fan of Dasai And, uh, you know There are many amazing Daiginjos I don't want to sound like I'm favoring one over the other But I know that they have one of the best uh, te- You know, technical skills To make this Daiginjo So um, I just love I mean, Thank you Thank you
1: Great I was just going to say Hold Brian. on you're not on the show yet <laughs> We're going to take a short break We'll get uh, to him We'll be back And talk more about Japanese sake high. and beer On Beer Sessions Radio
2: If you don't want You don't have to Get in trouble If you don't want You don't have to Get in trouble Say you, you better leave My woman alone Well I
1: know you are a playboy And you've got the women All over town listen buddy if
5: you ever sweet talk my little girl I'm gonna lay your body down if you don't want you don't have to get in trouble yeah. if you don't want you don't, don't have to get in trouble oh you, say,
1: better,
2: say, you better leave my, my woman alone strong. well I know
0: you got your money and you Got a new '56 too, but if I ever see my little girl in your new car, I'm gonna do
5: some work on you. If you don't want you,
4: don't have to. Get in you do All right.
1: Okay. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm here with Jen Swartman from Blind Tiger, Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43, quite a group of guests. So, we've been talking about sake a little bit, j- Japanese bear a little bit. Well, now we've got a, a really cool guest who's actually located next door to us here at Roberta's. Um, his name is Philip Gilmore from Momo Sushi Shack. How are you, Philip? I'm
5: good. How Philip, are you?
1: Tell us about your place. I, you're at Roberta's a lot.
5: Mm hmm. Uh, well, I'm at Roberta's a lot because I only have a beer and wine license, so I don't have tequila. So <laughs> that's why I'm. At <laughs> Where Roberta's. is your place? Uh, I'm right next to uh, right next to Roberta's. Right next to the liquor store. Right on the corner here. Um, so you're in Bushwick. Port yeah, I'm in, Bush, I'm in Bushwick. We're at uh, for, uh, 43 Bogart, and uh, it's yeah, called Momo Sushi. Mo- Shack. It's called Momo Sushi Shack. Uh, our website is momosushishack.com, and uh, yeah. I started it with my friend, Makoto Suzuki, who, uh, who's the owner of Bozu in, uh, in Williamsburg. that has been there for about eight years, and that's when I first started learning about sake is over at that restaurant.
1: So you're quite, uh, are you a sake expert or a sake enthusiast? <clears throat> I, I,
5: I've been drinking sake for about four to five years now, and uh, when I first started drinking sake, uh, I realized that I didn't love red wine and beer that much. <laughs> I like them a lot, but sake, I just love it. I'm very passionate about it. Yeah.
1: So, what are some of the sakis that you really enjoy that we could buy at your place?
5: Uh, well, the first the first one I brought today is called suigen. Uh, this is a junmai, so it, uh, that means that they they don't add any you know alcohol or uh, or water to it. And uh, and I will say that I am not perfect. So if there's anything that you either want to correct me about, anybody in the room, I am not above it. <laughs> uh, so uh, the first thing when I when people uh, try suigen, what I like to tell them is is that. Uh, when you hear the word dry with sake, it's not the same as when you are talking about, like, even a white wine or a red wine. Uh, sake is always going to have floral notes. It's always going to be a li- little bit sweet. But uh, if you guys want to try this one, this is this is about as dry as sake gets, I think. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Jen, are you trying sakis? Yes, I am trying. And th- that one. last one, that last one was so good that it does remind me i'm not i'm not sure what happened
1: the I'm biggest sure i mean I, I think that for for nope. people that are in new york restaurant world i think a lot of people have a familiarity with good sakis but i think that if if you haven't been introduced to it i mean sake is like it's black and white it might be what cold sake or hot sake i mean wh- what's the problem with sake why is it misrepresented so often
5: i think because there hasn't been a big advertising push personally like um i don't probably think four loco is that good but they have sold a lot of it <laughs> you know i mean it's i think it's about advertising i don't think there's a big uh there's a big push if you advertised sake properly and people tasted it it would it would it would build from there that's it's, what i've always told people but it's you know. my
2: impression that in back when they were first importing any sake we got all the worst possible sake and then they just started heating it up which i don't you don't do that in Japan, do you? Um,
0: actually, uh, we, do? we do serve hot or, or warm sake. Okay. But um, unfortunately, this is the story I usually give people is, you know, in the beginning of the importing days, uh, about 40, 50 years ago, when we started bringing sake to the States, um, the logistics weren't really set in place. What I mean by that is, uh, refrigerated containers were not really part of the game plan. So by the time the sake actually got to the United States shores, it, they were starting to go a little, yeah, a little... yes, a turned. a little, <laughs> little turn. Um, you know, I, I always say... Sake is, uh, is brewed like a beer, sips like a wine. Now, there's so many familiarities with uh, sakes to beers. We're using actually the same uh, top fermenting ale yeasts. Um, basically, uh, instead of a uh, a single dis- uh, I'm sorry uh, fermentation, it goes through multiple parallel fermentation, and we can talk about that maybe you know later. Next show. Next show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, That's sake
1: 201. Yeah. Yes.
0: <laughs> but uh, basically. Um, we didn't have things in place. So by the time the the sakes were stored in warehousing, then went to distribution, by the time it got to restaurants, it turned, it probably skunked a little bit. And, uh, you know, ultimately business is business. You have to sell what you have. So, um, unfortunately, sake bombs or um, heating sakes to an extreme amount when we start seeing steam, that's just way too much, no matter how much people say heating sake is correct. In Japan, I would say... Uh, heated sake can get up to about 95 to 100 degrees uh, Fahrenheit, so about body temperature. And that actually opens up sakes tremendously. And do you heat... all levels of sake. Is it like no? So like the first one that we just tried, the Dust side Twenty Three, I would not heat. I would keep that um, chill, and I would serve. It, I will treat it just like a, a Chardonnay or a Sauvignon Blanc. Sure. But I actually have a sake that's a very dry sake. This is a uh, Ozeno Yukidoke, um O Karakuchi. So Karakuchi just means very dry, and I would actually serve that warm. Okay, Corey, so in, in drier.
1: Uh, what are the different Japanese. cultures related to sake? Like when people go out. Are they just, do they go to sake bars? Do they drink sake in restaurants?
4: At home? Well, I mean, see, it's, you know, it's not really culture, and it's sad to say that uh, not much people are consuming sake these days. I think shochu has really taken over because you don't really get hangovers that much with shochu. Um, even in my days, you know, I'm not that young, but even m- in my days, um, I was exposed to more beer, and why Than sake But because of my family history That uh, I've always had And I've always had exposure To good sake
1: well, One reason that we became friends Is that One time you told me The history of your, your grandfather your grandfather was influential in, in the sake business uh, in Japan. Yes,
4: Japan. Uh, I shouldn't say sake business, but, uh, you know, listening to what everybody else was craft. talking. Craft, yes. It's artistry of sake making. Um, you know, it was really interesting hearing people talk because George mentioned about, you know, adding yeast. But that was not part of the method before. Um, my grandfather, and it's not just... You know, my grandfather, but there were, I just want to make sure that everybody understands that there were so many people who dedicated their lives to socket making. Sounds familiar. of oh, Familiar? <laughs> yeah, to
2: our craft brewing industry here. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people who are in it for the
4: passion. Mm-hmm. It, it and
1: really my fa- does. It sounds like it was a beautiful time.
4: Yeah, and my grandfather's passion was to create chilled socket because chilled socket was not really. Um, you know, consumable back in those days because of sanitary reasons, and the fact that you, you add yeast. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, earlier in the process really made it uh, t- uh, pre- to pre- prevent sake from rottening and you did not have to heat it. And I brought
1: yeah. hey, Corey before you. So, what, what time was your? What year was your grandfather working in these methods and things?
4: I mean, he has. You know, he. Uh, this was like early. Um, uh no uh begin um 1910 was the year that he uh introduced his invention which was supposed to be the um revolution to the sake industry uh, his dream and i brought the article here but it's in japanese mm-hmm. but um in actually 1933 he was f- uh, first able to i shouldn't say first i'm sure there were many other people who are experimenting, but I have a news article from um, Asahi Shimbun, the major newspaper in Osaka, that, oh, you know, Mr. Eda has, uh, my last name is Eda, and my re- grandfather's last name was Eda, too, but saying that he was first able to produce, not first, but uh, it says first in the article, but I doubt it, but this um, sake, chilled sake, but, and from the article, it sounds like, you know, unpasteurized um, sake, which... I'm sure George have you know a lot of information about. it So
0: you're
1: saying that that and this is probably you guys will agree with me that at one point you were saying they only served pasteurized sake. Uh,
4: no 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 no. no, no. no they, but they had to I'm heat it confuse. for it they ha- Yeah they, they They had to so heat it. So, so that's interesting. Does
1: that mean they were pasteurizing it? What do you no, guys? No no yes.
0: no. Is that what's going on, so, uh, George? Uh, the um, there's, there's two things. So when um, Corey was mentioning 1910, actually a lot of things in the sake industry were happening in 1909 to 1911. The advent of uh, kimoto styles coming back, um, ex- uh, expediting fermentation. But let me talk a little bit about the pasteurization. Over 200 years before Louis Pasteur lent his mm-hmm. name to pasteurization, the Japanese were using a technique called hiire. Mm-hmm. And hiire is a uh, a very slow um, raising of the temperature, and what basically they did was they were pasteurizing. They, for 30 minutes, they would raise the temperature to about 65 degrees Celsius, and this would kill off the unwanted microbes that would give you the chance of spoilage. They didn't know specifically and scientifically why this happened, but through trial and error, this was a practice that was done throughout the land. Um, just to give you a little uh, um, I mean, a demographic, if you will, uh, today we are unfortunately left with about only a thousand active breweries left in Japan. Um, early 1900s, there was over 30,000. You mean sake that breweries? That also sake sounds breweries. familiar. Yes, with the
2: United yes. States and our craft brewing.
0: So, yeah, absolutely. It's a uh, it's a it's a losing art form, but um, you know, I also kind of blame it towards. Uh, Global, global globalization You know The the piece of the pie the Sake was pretty much A dominating force 1976 was the peak Well let's go production. back Wait
1: Let's stay around 1910 or earlier Okay this well, this I've never know. heard Any of these stories And this is brilliant You guys are on the Cutting edge of sake Ever <laughs> So you're Cutting saying edge that By going
2: <laughs> back to 1910 There
1: was a, a an un, 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 Not quite understood Pasteurization going on mm, Hundreds, hundreds of years ago Right And then, John, what do you want to say? What was going on? Sorry,
3: I was going to chip in. Um, We were talking uh, sort of about the massive drop-off in the number of sake breweries (laughs) since then, (laughs) um, especially in recent times. Um, It's actually less analogous to America because America had this wonderful thing called Prohibition that essentially killed the brewing industry. Um, The sake brewing situation in Japan is much more analogous to Great Britain. Where uh, you have the you know very proud uh, tradition of real ale and very proud tradition of you know sort of local breweries supplying very very fresh um, very uh, recently conditioned beer to local bars, um, and it's really more anal- analogous to the decline of that where you have in Japan the situation with you know Scotch whiskey and with uh, shochu and things like that sort of attacking and eating and, and beer production attacking so at more sake.
1: more like potentially industrial products. Taking over from artisanal products?
3: Uh, to a certain extent. Um, it's a little... It's, it's part that and part um, just pure alcohol, sort of combating artisanal yeah. production. Well, let's, can we go back to 19... I think this but is let's the coolest, go back to 1910.
1: 1910. <laughs> Corey, let's go back to 1910. So your grandfather was working on a special process.
4: Yeah, but... Uh, yes, but before that, I just want to mention... That, um, you know, and this is something that, you know, I learned, not, you know, I didn't learn this when I was growing up in, like, history, yet I had no idea that many of the wars, like Russo-Japan War, Sino-Japan War, they were funded by, ta- by the taxation to sake. So during that period, it was very important for the Japanese government to stabilize the production of sake. So what happened was during the Meiji restoration, and that ties into the number Thirty thousand breweries, because up, up until then you had to have license. But then the Japanese government said, "You know what? Anyone with capital, you can make it." So that's why it grew. But there were setbacks, as I'm sure George knows.
0: Absolutely. Um, the, the the data varies a little bit, but you know, ballpark ninety percent of the Japanese war chest was funded by taxation of sake. So you can imagine how important it was for local breweries to actually have a business, a thriving business, so that the government could make collect tax. Wow, this is heavy stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Philip, I, Philip's dying to come I, in on I this. Was,
5: I, I, I was going to ask you, when did Honjozo show up?
0: Honjozo, actually, um, Honjozo basically means a sake that has been brewed and fortified slightly with brewer's alcohol. This alcohol is today very similar to cachaça. It's made of sugar cane, it's a distilled spirit, and what the theory behind Honjozo is is that the alcohol opens up flavors your palate would not normally detect, right? Uh, this is, you know, on the other side of Junmai. So when I talk about sakes and I do sake trainings, I split the sake world into two hemispheres, a Junmai world and a non-Junmai world. And within the non-Junmai world, if it's not a daiginjo or a ginjo, it's a honjozo. Honjozo means 70% or more of the rice is remaining, 30% was removed, and you're able to get create a very aromatic and floral sake, relatively speaking but it is fortified with alcohol and that actually opens up and um, I I like to say blooms the sake a little bit
5: Uh, wasn't the original Honjozo almost like a uh, not like bathtub gin per se but wasn't it was it World War II that Honjozo popped up yes and it was like which I always which I always tell people it's also almost uh, equivalent to prohibition Mm -hmm. because they were making small batches of sake because people need to have rice to eat but they also need sake to drink so they're making small batches and then adding just alcohol and water
0: Correct. Yeah. And, and the Honjozo itself, um, and, uh, there's so many analogies with the beer world. This is actually a great segue. Um, I like to always talk about um, the Honjozos of, of pre-World War I. And what I mean by that is they didn't have strict regulations back then. Today's Honjozo cannot be past 10% alcohol per solids. So if you're using 100 kilos of rice, you cannot add more than 10 kilos of the liquid, the distilled spirit. Back in the day... There were no rules, yeah. so uh, oftentimes it was three times. It was it was it was cut three to one actually, mm-hmm. water to alcohol mm-hmm. and a little bit of rice to give you that flavor.
5: And if you ever have a machine sake, it is one hundred percent honjozo.
0: Having a <laughs> what
5: hot, sake? A, a, a hot sake. I always tell but, people too that honjozo is, is either the bottom of the barrel or <laughs> like one of my favorites. Like, if you have honjozo? If you have honjozo, it's either going to be really cheap or really expensive. Philip,
1: have you been to Japan?
5: No, I've yeah. been there in spirit. I feel like you've been. There. <laughs> Yeah. Nope. Well, if, you, if, you Japan, ever, wait, yeah. if
1: you did go to Japan, if you to Japan, which region would you go to, and what sake would you want to, you know, sake brewery would you want to visit?
5: Um. I mean, I love Desai. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would definitely go to Desai. There's too many for me. It would be impossible.
0: Where is, where is Desai? Where is it? Yamaguchi Prefecture? Yamaguchi. It's, yeah. There's four main islands in Japan. Honshu on the bottom left portion of Honshu.
1: I, I do love that when when I look at um you know in New York there's a place like Astor Wines. Mm-hmm. I mean, they always have a really good selection of sakis. You know, I know there's the top Japanese restaurants, but you know around the country do you think that there's there's enthusiasm for sake? In, in good wine shops, and other absolutely,
0: places. absolutely. The, so uh, that could the socket, be a good place to learn about it. The sake boom is 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 really rising. Um, a lot of people are taking note and um, asking for more education. And this is really an education based uh, product.
3: John, what did you have to say? Well, I I couldn't agree more. I mean, <laughs> I, I was actually going to ask a question, uh, which is. Sort of, I was going to offer up a question, which is, you know, what sort of other resources could people recommend to learn about sake? I think that John Gautner's books are spectacular. Um, if people have the opportunity to attend John Gautner's seminars, I know he hasn't done many of them in English, many of them in the states. But what's, his, what's his name, John? John Goutner. But maybe uh, someone yes. else could speak more. Yeah, who uh, artistic- is he? Do we know the name let, of the Let's book? let someone else uh, hammer that
5: down. <laughs> well,
1: Philip, do you know John Gartner? Uh,
5: I, I, yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I don't know him personally, but I was going to tell tell uh, when people are, have no, no idea about sake, they know nothing about sake, and they say, how can I learn? This, this sounds so ridiculous, but if you type in the word sake on Wikipedia, and you memorize <laughs> that page, followed every link, and memorized those pages, you are a sake expert. So who's this John Gartner, <laughs> George?
0: Um, well, John Gunner's is actually uh, one of my sake teachers, if you will. Um, He he offers a very thorough... Is he American? Yes, he is. And he actually lives in Japan. So, for the past 10, 15 years, I believe, he's lived in Japan and dedicated his life to the education of sake.
3: Yeah, if I can add very slightly. He's actually from Cleveland. He has a pretty distinct Cleveland (laughs) accent. It's really great. And he's married to a woman from Japan and has lived in Japan for, yeah, about a decade or so. Wow. This is
1: cool. Well, one more time, we're going to take a short break and uh, check in at... We're at Heritage Radio Network, here at Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. We'll be back in a few on Beer Sessions Radio.
5: I put a spell on you. Because you're mine.
1: Stop the things you do. Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're having a great time here. We're drinking some really good sakis and beer at uh, Roberta's in, in Bushwick in Brooklyn. Well, uh, Philip, what was your what was the statement? Oh, I was
5: I was going to just point out a quick thing I wanted to before I forgot, which was uh, um, you know having worked at Bozu for three years and now owning Momo for over a year, I get to talk to people a lot about Saki and people are always surprised that sake is is near. And alcohol content is wine mm-hmm. and i think that people are surprised by that because so many people are used to drinking hot sake and when you drink hot sake you have all those alcohol vapors and you know a normal sake is between 12 and 16 17 percent and so i'd like to just destroy the misconception that sake is really strong because people are like they take one drink of sake and it's like oh sake's so so strong but it's actually like having a half an ounce of wine you know?
3: <laughs> absolutely
0: yeah.
1: All right.
5: <laughs> well, I have some more
1: questions. Now so, you know. George, uh, we're drinking a sake now. Uh, it's it's a Nagori, but this tastes like an old-fashioned sake.
0: Correct. Um, I'm glad you picked up on that. This is a, a Kikusui, um, perfect snow. This is actually a, a new sake that we just brought into the States, uh, December 1st. So it's only been in uh, you know, in the streets for five days. But um, this sake is, is rather very cloying. It's... Uh, one unique thing about this is it's twenty one percent alcohol by volume, so this is a sake that's a nigori, but it's also honjozo, so there's slight alcohol fortification in this. This is also, I believe, a genshu. Genshu simply means cask strength. Is this have, like a party sake? Um, this 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 would be a, a good kickstart to a good party, I think. Um, what can I say? It's it's very big, it's very rich, bold, but um, because it's twenty one percent. This extends a, a, a huge repertoire for, for mixing. Um, what unique thing that the Japanese have discovered is mixing this with milk. Now, this is very counterintuitive, <laughs> but actually, when you mix this 50-50 with milk, it's utterly delicious. Well, it,
2: it has sort of a milky mm-hmm. consistency. The mouthfeel is completely different than the other two that we had. Mm-hmm. The You know, the unfiltered oh. yes. sort of... Yes. Yeah.
1: Jen, you're not the biggest fan of sake, <laughs> but are you becoming a fan of sake? I...
2: I'm revisiting sake. I actually liked sake um, for a while, and, and I don't know. I didn't have a bad experience like sometimes people have with a certain alcohol, and then they can't go back to it. But I just sort of one day like realized I didn't have much of a taste for it. But I think I need to just study it enough to refine my parameters because sake is quite diverse there it's a huge range and I know that there's a lot of terminology that I don't understand so I probably just need to figure out what styles just like when you start learning about beer and how you have to learn what styles you respond to until your palate gets to a certain point point. and I might have overshot it just I, like somebody who overdoes it with hops when they're brand new to craft beer
3: yeah I mean I, I um I don't have any thoughts on what you might have done or might not have done. I will say that sort of I
2: have no
4: idea.
3: <laughs> <laughs> not that
2: I don't remember the night, but I don't know exactly what I was you know, drinking I don't understand
3: enough. to speak to my experience, I think that there was a certain in- intimidation with sake where I assumed that it might be the difference between learning about bourbon and learning about Scotch whiskey, and that I can afford bourbon, and I can't afford Scotch whiskey. I mean, I can't afford the $20 a shot for the next But then also, years.
2: aside from the expense, those two flavor profiles within the whole whiskey umbrella are so dramatically different. Ex- and some people gravitate to certain flavors, and some gravitate to others.
3: I think that's very true, and what I was sort of pleased to find is that in the, in the sake world there was actually a much wider array of flavors avail- available to me at a reasonable price point than I expected. Yeah. And sake has a really distinct um, regionality even. You, you, you can really start to, to taste and start to sense sort of the different regional characteristics, even at a pretty reasonable price point. John. As long as what you're having is Junmai, it's, uh, it's are, going to be, John it's going and to George, be great. and George, are
1: there any uh, special sake events going on in the next six months? That uh, someone could learn, more. you know, I want to go and, and taste through, like, you know, twenty flights of sake, and I'll tell you my favorite um, sake every night bar. At Momo. Momo, is that what you do? <laughs> every, every, you ever...
5: every night it is a special sake tasting at Momo? Every single night, that. and sometimes uh, in the morning and sometimes in the afternoon. I
2: have a favorite sake bar though in the East Village, Decibel.
5: Yes, that place absolutely. is great. Do they really have I mean, good It's so such so
2: much atmosphere and <laughs> it's one
1: of the great Momo. Tell places. us, we're gonna just that's call you Mister Momo because you're Mister Momo. Mr. Momo. Well, that's, tell that's, us again? Tell
2: them about it, Momo.
5: Where are you, Bogart? What 40, 43 Bogart On the corner In of which neighborhood? Bushwick.
1: Bushwick Brooklyn, America
5: Brooklyn, America And you have yes. a website? Yes MomosushiShack.com I love you man Thank you man. This guy is,
1: is changing What you <laughs> would think of Saki
5: You know what I tell people is uh, sake is like country music Or hip hop if you don't, if you haven't heard a country, if, if, you know I hate country. Well, you haven't heard the right country music song. I hate hip hop. And we talk heard about right, that with
2: beer all the time yeah, too yeah, on this
5: show sake, and they, everywhere. If, yeah. If, 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 if somebody doesn't like sake, they just hasn't haven't tried the right one. Exactly. That mr speaks Momo, to the ramen, the soul food idea. <laughs> yeah. Right?
1: Exactly. Wait, stop. Miss. Tell us a little more about the food that you serve at Mr. Momo.
5: Um, You're gonna change the name to Mr. Momo? Yeah, Mr. mr. Momo Sushi Shack. Um, <laughs> well, we're we're taking uh, basically how I would describe it in less than. Two hours would be. Uh, we're taking uh, traditional Japanese cooking techniques, and then uh, and then using uh, seasonal, organic, and local ingredients as much as possible. So, like, uh, let's say, for instance, if you get a tempura in my place, it's going to be done exactly how tempura should. But then we're going to be using something like uh, like zucchini flowers or uh, candy striped beets or you know uh, purple carrots. You
1: know. Cool, and then. The sake that you buy. How many bottles of sake do you have at
5: at uh, Well, we, I, I have a very small restaurant. It's only 800 square feet. So right now we have a. It rotates a little bit, but nine different different. B- types of sake, and, but they're all different styles. I have a you know.
1: Oh. in which in New York, which distributors do you buy from?
5: Um, I uh, you know I, I did a big uh, a big uh, sake tasting at the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens. It was a uh, bonsai lecture and sake lecture, and uh, JFC, uh, J, the JFC company. Uh, Sponsored the event So uh, I told him That I would use them For one year So George I'm going to be talking To you in February (laughs) I would like to say too I'm so honored That this This sake That we're drinking The nigori Has only been here For five days Because five days ago The owner of the The company came And had lunch at Momo So I'm so honored That I was one of the first To have it in the whole world Well
1: (laughs) as you know The way I've always bought sake In the western world Is that I, I buy it By distributor Like I know that Mutual Trading is a good name. Yeah. Uh, there's Japan Prestige, yeah, World Saki. and you're and over at World Sake's. Amazing. For a long time, I, I took the easy way out, and it was great. Um, the, the full lineup of Hitachino, the Kiyuchi Sakis, was a few years ago at Jimmy's Number 43. I, I think I had all the Sakis on our menu, and the funny thing was, is we sold them out, so I should have kept buying them, but for some reason I didn't.
3: Uh-huh. Well, the o- the other thing about the the sake line from Kiyuchi, the Kikusakari sake, sake line is that, um, you know, in Japan, uh, Kishi is very known for making um, less, <laughs> more esoteric versions of sake. For instance, you know, they are very, very proud of their Taro sake. They're very proud of their Asamurasake, sake. And their Daiginjos are also very, very, um, very extreme and very specific to their regionality. Um, are they getting
2: creative with it and doing things that are just completely non-traditional or...
3: Uh, they actually have a what? very, very good sense of sort of taking aspects of the tradition and sort of manifesting them in, in new and original ways. Well,
2: once again, that sounds like an ongoing theme with what we do here. <laughs> Heck yeah. You know, another and, another beer and
1: George, analogy. George, um, yes. going back to you know when when Corey and I were talking about the the Japan disaster last this year, but it feels like last year. Thank God it was such a. Uh, we've moved on so much. Gosh, that was horrible. You know, uh, I have to say this. Last year, you know, the Japan, the earthquake and the tsunami. I mean, one reason we're doing this show tonight is we, everyone in this room. We have such a connection to Japan, Japan products, Japan culture. Um, it's inspired many of us to to think of a different life, you know, in 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 our you know in the field that we're in. I mean, in restaurants and food and beverages. You know, Japan is is really set a standard for so many things. And when that disaster happened, we really felt it. And to, to do the Brewers for Brewers event uh, last spring, it, it was something that we would not have been able to not do. But, but George, you know, tell us what, what's going on with the, the Saki and other companies that you work with in, in Japan right now.
0: Yeah, well, with regards to um, the relief efforts, you know, I actually, every year I, I take a few trips to Japan and I visit some of my breweries. And um, actually, I was stuck in Japan during the earthquake. Um, I was scheduled to fly back uh, March 12th. And March eleventh, um, the big earthquake hit. I was fortunately um, in Q- in Kyushu, so I didn't, you know, receive any of the residual, you know, shock and stuff. But when I got back to Narita, um, the planes were all, you know, uh, backed just, up, yeah, yeah completely ages. backed up. And I was stuck there for twenty four hours. They sent out in emergency sleeping bags. You know, everything was taken care of. But aftershocks every thirty minutes, and these are like Richter scale fives. So that was, you know, really, really scary. And I, I feel con- considerably lucky that i'm here in the united states in the safe you know um environment talking to everyone here but um in terms of the relief efforts yeah a few of our breweries were hit from the um the uh, atrocities but uh everyone has somewhat you know pulled together and i think that's that's the very unique thing about this this small um industry and environment is you know we're, we're all really just family you know um we, uh, we had a humongous charity event. Um, a lot of the different distributors and importers got together um, a month after the, uh, the earthquake. And in New York, New York City, I think we raised close to $90,000. Um, and oh, That was immediately sent great. to the uh, Japan Society Red Cross uh, earthquake relief.
3: You know, uh, Jimmy, as far as Brewers for Brewers, um, I know you and I have talked about this privately a little bit, but there's actually a batch of beer um, at Hidichino that was in the maturation, in the temperature-cold temperature-controlled maturation tanks when the earthquake and the tsunami hit that um, essentially spent three or four days in the maturation tanks without power. And um, it developed some really interesting secondary fermentations, probably from lactobacillus and some other things. And it's really, really delicious. I had the opportunity to taste what it. What did they call maybe, it? Well, uh, <laughs> <Burris> <laughs> I had the for to taste it maybe three or four months ago, and it's really spectacular. And we will be bringing in um, a bunch of it and making it available exclusively to accounts that raise money for the relief effort. What that's is terrific. the name of it? And we're calling it Three Days because that's how long right. we went without power.
1: Well, one more thing. We're, we're definitely going to do another Saki show. We have to. And, and everyone in this room, we will be back. We're all friends now. And just uh, what we usually do after the show, we hang out here at Roberta's in Brooklyn. We have dinner. There's pizza. There's foie gras. There's steak. It, it's gonna kind of have a treat, but hey, we we earned it. But um, going back to the, the sake, um, is there any a tradition of, of sake uh, home brewing? Do, do, do people do that in Japan?
2: That's a
0: great
1: question. There is a
0: style called Doburoku that is a very easy um, fermentation. But in terms of creating a sake of this caliber, making sake is so so difficult. So um, home brewing is is almost an impossibility.
4: But it's illegal too these days.
1: But if you're in America, the, the next time we come back on, we're, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, who knows, maybe in a few months we'll schedule the show, but we could definitely talk about how to do home brewing of sake. Is that possible John? No. Well, he's just I'm, saying
2: it's not Jimmy.
1: So, well, she might be I mean there,
3: there's two major challenges. One is that you need to mill away at least 50% if not, you know, 60-70% of the rice grain. And we don't have and access to those mills. And then the other thing mills. is that as opposed to barley, you know, where you can malt barley very easily by essentially starting the germination process, uh, rice don't malt. So, you have to use okay. koji, which is a bacteria. So, yeah, making it's sake not at home is very challenging. It's not impossible. It's very, <laughs> but, like, very. But you're in a little bit over your head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm not. because I'll tell you what. Because until until whatever, 1979, homebrewing was illegal. But now, for a homebrewer, you can yeah, buy malt. You can just, buy they're hops. They're telling you
2: scientifically what well, it scientifically it takes. It's like, Yeah, it's it's not as easy. Oh, we're just going to get a bag of rice and no, I have I have a I, I, I love it. I think, think we're going to make that some Mr. sake. Mr. Momo gonna here challenge. is going to
1: be behind yeah. it. I get a feeling, Mr. Momo, we're doing this. We're gonna have a challenge. We're gonna have the a, a, a home sake making I do not challenge. want that I, I prom- sake. I, promise I everybody, do not want that sake. I,
5: I promise everybody in this room I could have sake ready in exactly one year if I had two million dollars.
2: You got <laughs> it. See, it's not impossible. We're opening Jen. it up to the public now. Yeah, it's not impossible. It's not impossible. You just need two million dollars. Well,
5: and a sake maker from can, Japan. <laughs> we can try to make a very sweet sake. I mean, and that's, is, that's possible. There is right?
2: a sake is coming possible. out of Berkeley that yeah. I've had before. Yes, Berkeley, California. Yes. There's With a American sake. American rice. Produ-
0: yeah. Showed from Berkeley. That's California. the
2: one I know it's, of it's that's fantastic. domestically produced, but, and it's you know it's an unfiltered.
0: You know. But the uh, the facility is stated But yard. Corey said, Corey, that, you say that two million dollars. In Japan, <laughs>
1: is home sake making illegal? So perhaps th- no one's really tried. Is that true?
4: I I mean I'm sure that some people have tried it, but it's not publicized, and maybe it's. I'd not like very
5: to point good. out that marijuana is also illegal in Japan. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> We we got somewhere with the show, Jenna. I think, <laughs> I think that...
2: I learned a lot. We
1: got a chance to talk about some new things.
2: And, and now Jimmy's um, going to start his, like, like small batch sake, the quest, the quest you know, homebrewing system hey, in the not? basement of Jimmy's.
1: Why not? <laughs> well, uh, anything going on at Blind Tiger this next weekend?
2: Uh, we've got... Uh, well, it's not the weekend. It's Wednesday. Tomorrow, we're going to have a holiday beer event. 14 holiday beers of all kinds from all over the world. So that'll be fun. And Mr. Momo, anything special happening at your place in the next week or two?
5: Every night, special, special, special. Tell
1: me, what sake should I drink at your place tonight?
5: Uh, The one we actually didn't get to, which was the Chiomasubi, which is one of my favorite, the Tokobetsu.
3: John, anything going on with uh, any of your special bars in New York City? Well, you know, there's this bar in the East Village called Jimmy's 43, Mm -hmm. and actually there's a $10 tasting of six rare beers from Be United tonight. So if anyone is uh, listening to this live, I couldn't recommend Gang out enough.
1: All right. And George, anything uh, happening in the world of sake in the next couple weeks?
0: Um, well, you know, I'm doing a lot of traveling. This year I logged about 100 days on the road. So uh, all over the East Coast, you know, there's, there's events here and there. But, you know, we'll definitely keep you guys updated with, you know. Right. And how events. do I learn more about your travels? <laughs> my travels you have a website or something Come um on. well i'm also the culinary director of the japanese culinary center in manhattan and we do a lot of uh, culinary events so actually on the 15th we're doing a motsunabe which is a southern japanese you know hearty stick to your ribs type of stew pot hot pot and um yeah that that's that's up and coming Corey,
1: do you, do you give a thumbs up to that thumbs up
4: yeah and but you know with that i would love to have too.
1: yes All right. And Jimmy's number 43 and December 17th. It's our second annual Battle Battle of the Belgians. Best of the American Belgian style. Yeah, I sure promote
3: that too. We got a bunch of my beers on that. Yeah, well, that's what
1: everyone's coming for. Everyone's coming for the Be United. Just, John, tell us about a few of the top Belgian beers that you guys sell.
3: You know, for a battle of the Belgians, I'd say the three highlights we got are the uh, Brasserie Avapour Saison de pipe, the historic uh, Saison recipe from the 1700s, brewed by the world's last 100% steam-powered brewery. We got De Orbier Reserve, Reserva, oh, which yum. is uh, matured 18 months in Bordeaux wine barrel, and I promised three. Also, a, a relatively new beer to the New York market, um, Smitske from Brewery Smitske, um, sort of a uh, very, very intense, very hot one uh, like T. Schmitschka? Yeah, that's the one. Uh, Schmitschka means blacksmith, but they replace the uh, J with a K for this beer. And, I don't and know they also make means. like a mustard beer, don't they? Yeah, Vestincha. It's a yeah. really beautiful. They're a spectacular well, you got brewery. And,
1: and what's the website for B United? Uh,
3: the letter B uh bunitedint.com I will say
1: it's it's a tough site to navigate but you guys are working on it but there's cuz there's so many beers from so many countries Yeah that's the issue Japan. It's too
3: much information we got yeah. you got hundreds and hundreds of beers And you guys from are a great job
1: countries. and your founder's name is what uh, Matthias
3: oh. Matthias is uh, my boss he runs the company we've been yeah. around and for you about you guys 15 are years just now a
1: special part of New York beer And uh, one more thing Monday December 12th at Beer Table Whiskey yeah. Distilled Beer and Beer Tasting event also coming up, the Get Real New York presents Beer Bar Fest, December 10th. Uh, I think you go to getrealnewyork.com for more. I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com. Thank you again. You guys have an awesome site, and it keeps getting better. Beer Sessions Radio is supported by the Good Beer Seal, Thanks to Jen, Phil, Corey, John, and George for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Insley and Brio O'Connor and guest coordinator, Brett Thompson. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. This little song is more to the point. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer.
0: Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.